At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. You know, I love spiritual family, and I love moments like this that are family moments, moments of worship, multi-generational moments. And I just want to say something to those who have maybe believed in Jesus for a long time. You've been on this journey of trusting Christ through many years, many seasons, and many situations. Tonight, I simply want to remind you that you have not believed in vain. That although our culture at times may put pressure on our faith, at times may even make it seem like it's foolish, hold on to your faith because it comes with great reward. I want to just simply remind you that God is still good, that he is still faithful, that his mercy and grace is still better than life, and that you have not worshipped him in vain and that you're in the right place tonight because Jesus is still Lord, the tomb is still empty, and God is still worthy. How many believe that with all of your heart? Amen? But also, thank God that there are younger generations in here today as well. And I pray that today you would be persuaded that Jesus is not only everything that he says he is, but because he is everything that he says he is, namely because he is Lord, that he is worthy of your entire life. Not just a, a Sunday, not, not even just a Christmas Eve service. As great as it is for you to be here today, I want you to know this, that Christ alone brings purpose and meaning in life. That Christ alone brings value. That Christ alone is a rock that can help you weather whatever storm life throws your way. So tonight, I pray that if you have not yet believed, that you would believe. Because every single one of us, every single one of us, 100% of us, need a Savior and a Rescuer. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad He came. We're going to look at the Word of God this evening. We've been in the midst of a series uh, that I love. It's called Fulfilled. The only thing that uh, uh, makes me sad is tomorrow we get a chance to wrap it up, and hopefully you'll be with us at that 10 a.m. service. I'll be back, and I hope you will be as well. I hear the weather's going to be great. But fulfilled has a dual meaning for us. On the one hand, it speaks to prophecy. The fact is, is that over and again in the life of Jesus, he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And that's important because that tells me that this book that I hold in my hand is not just a normal book. It's not some self-help book. It's not a book that you would just typically order, read, uh, something from Barnes & Noble or Amazon, and you toss on the 
bookshelf. No, this is a divine book. And the earmark of divinity, the fingerprint of God, is the fact that it predicts over and again, and it fulfills over and again with divine, perfect precision. As a matter of fact, as we look at the life of Jesus, what you're going to find is that every single detail of his life was not only prophesied, but it was fulfilled, and we will celebrate that today as we not only affirm that this is the word of God, but it is true and reliable. It is, it is something that you can build your life off of. Friends, you can follow this book and it will safely guide you home. Amen? But that word fulfilled has a second meaning, and it's satisfied. The fact is that only Christ satisfies. Only in Jesus are the questions of our mind and the longings of our heart fully satisfied. That's what every Bible, uh, every uh, gospel writer wants you to know, wants you to be persuaded of, is that Jesus is Lord and that he satisfies. And so today we're going to look at one prophecy that may seem minor, but it has enormous importance. Join me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. We've been studying through Matthew's Gospel. In particular, we've been in chapter 2, and tonight we arrive at the final verse in chapter 2. We're going to look at verse number 23. Now, just by way of reminder and recap, what we've seen is that there was, there was much that were happening, much events that were happening around the birth of Jesus, not the least of which is this king named Herod. Herod was a king over the region where Jesus was born, and as we've studied and we've been reminded, he was an evil king. He was uh, paranoid and insecure, and he had heard of the prophecies that a Messiah was being born. And how did he hear about it? Well, no doubt from the scribes of his day, but there were these wise men that came from the east. We, uh, we were introduced to them, rather, in verse number one of this chapter, and they had come into the region where Herod was leader. He inquired of them, what brings you here? They told him, we've been following the star, the star that was to lead us to the king, the one who will be born, not only king of the Jews, but king of the world. And uh, Herod in his paranoia says to them, hey, go and, and search him out and find out where this baby is being born so that I might come and worship him. But his motives were far from worshiping him. He wanted to destroy this baby who was born to be the Messiah. And you know what's significant about this, and I don't want you to miss this, is that Jesus was born in a way that may seem in some ways obscure. It may not seem to be that prominent, that exciting, but yet he grows in stature and in value and in importance in the minds of men. And maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe you've experienced getting a gift that in the moment didn't seem that valuable, but over time you realize that, man, this was really actually a pretty great gift. Have you ever experienced that before? I've been on both ends of that. I have received gifts that in the moment I open the package and I kind of give that requisite thank you and, uh, and uh, I appreciate it and not really understanding the value, but over time coming to appreciate it even more, realizing, man, this was actually really significant. And I've also been on the giving end of that. 
I remember a couple years ago, it was my son's birthday. He was turning about nine years old, and I decided that year, instead of just getting him toys and video games and tennis shoes, that I was going to buy him some stock. I wanted him to learn what it meant to be an investor. So I found a company that I knew he liked the products of, and I brought him some shares of this company, and I thought he was going to be genuinely excited to own shares in this company that he liked. And imagine a nine-year-old's response when I said, for your birthday this year, I didn't get you toys, but I got you shares of a company. Needless to say, he was not that thrilled. And so over time, I told him, son, you're going to appreciate this more later. And over time, that stock grew in value and it increased. And what started out as a few hundred dollars of investment turned into a few thousand dollars of profit. And so one day I I felt like, hey, it reached its peak. Let's sell it. And so we did. And I, I came back home excited. And I told my son, listen, we sold it and we made this amount. And he was overjoyed, so overjoyed that he said to me, Dad, can I take that money and buy those video games that I wanted to buy on my birthday? And I said, absolutely not. This is for your education. But he learned a powerful lesson that sometimes things that may seem maybe bland or ordinary at the beginning can increase in value and appreciation over time. And for some, in particular for many in Jesus' day, his birth was without much fanfare. Now we read the scriptures, and yes, there were angelic choir, there was an angelic choir, and there were shepherds who came, and there were wise men, certainly. But as far as the, the bulk of the world, it was like any other day. But as his life went on and he lived a sinless life and went to that cross and died for us and laid down his life, and on the third day rose again as the apostles told this story about the Savior who paid our sin debt. His value, his worth in the eyes of humanity only increased over time till today where you see that the dominant narrative across the world is that Jesus is special, that that he is no ordinary man. And I pray that today, that the value and worth of Jesus' birth, him coming into the world, will increase in your heart and in your mind. And part of the way that it increases is for us to understand that when Jesus comes into the world, it was no haphazard thing. This was no man trying to manipulate history. No, he was fulfilling history. And so as... Herod was after Jesus, an angel intervenes and tells Joseph to take the child and his mom, Mary, to Egypt until Herod dies to keep them safe. And then after about a year, the angel comes back again and says, Herod has died. You can go back to Israel now. But he didn't go back to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. He went to a city called Nazareth. And that's where we pick up the story. Look at what it says in verse number 23 of chapter 2. It says, And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, for many of us, we would read that verse and we would quickly go to chapter 3, thinking that this was insignificant. But friends, it's so important that we slow down. In particular, when the Bible tells us that this was done to fulfill. Now, what about this Nazareth? It's, It's a city that in ancient times was a small city, so small that to call it a city might be an overstatement. 
It boasted of just a few hundred people. It was more of a village. This obscure little town was nothing that was that important. As a matter of fact, one of Jesus' later disciples would be famous for saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? It was not only a small city or town, it was poor. It was not a place where you would think a king would be born, let alone the king of the world. But this was the prophecy. And why? Why was this so important? Well, we'll miss the importance if we don't understand that the original language of this was not the language that we are used to. It's not our native tongue. It wasn't English. As a matter of fact, the gospel writers were Jewish, and their native tongue would have been Hebrew. And in the Hebrew, most scholars believe this is a wordplay that Matthew picks up on, that Nazareth is based off of another word, Nazir. And Nazir in the Hebrew means branch. And this is what Matthew's picking up on when he says... So, what, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. Matthew is not quoting one prophet or one passage of scripture, but he's picking up rather on an Old Testament theme that this Nazir was going to come. Now the word Nazir in the Hebrew means branch. And over and again, the Old Testament uses this title branch for the Messiah, to tell us that there is a branch that is coming that is going to provide covering not only for Israel, but for the world. I want you to see this in scripture so that you can understand why Israel would be so excited about this one that was called the branch. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, and you can turn there with me or follow with the words on the screen. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number five, we read these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Look at this one that's called branch. He is the one that will come and establish a kingdom that is based off of one who will rule with wisdom and execute justice. The type of kingdom that you and I are hoping for and praying for and certainly Israel was longing for. Well, he's spoken of also in another place, Zechariah. Zechariah, you can turn there with me, no doubt, for most of us, our Bibles don't have much tread here. This may be unfamiliar territory, but Zechariah is an important book. And in this critical chapter, there is a messianic verse. The verse that predicts that a Messiah is coming who would be called Branch. And it says in verse number 12, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the Branch for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. You couple this with the previous verse that we just read, and it tells us that this, this branch is not just going to be a geopolitical leader that will restore the fortunes of Israel, but maybe even more importantly, he was going to restore true worship. 
By rebuilding the temple, he was restoring to, wor- to, uh, to us, to humanity, uh, worship of God as our rescuer and king. Maybe tonight, maybe you're young in this place and you're wondering, what's all the fanfare about? Why is everybody dressed so nice? Or why is there so many songs that are being sung? Why is there so much excitement? It's because in Christ, worship has been restored. As a matter of fact, all of our hearts today should gather together in worship because what do you give to a God who has given you everything? The only thing that we can give him is the fruit of our lips and our glad hearts, giving him the praise and the adoration that is due his name. And this is what he wants throughout all of the earth. He wants in every place where men and women are gathered, he wants worship and praise and adoration. And this is what the branch restores. And this is why we worship him tonight. How many believe tonight that he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise? and worthy of the honor. There's one other place I want us to go, and it's to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. Can you join me there? We're going to spend the rest of our time there just for a few moments. And in Isaiah chapter 11, we see one of the clearest references to this one who is called the branch. Isaiah is affectionately called by some the fifth gospel. And the reason why is because He speaks of the Messiah, the coming one, the one who would rescue Israel more than any other Old Testament prophet. He speaks of Jesus' coming 700 years before it happens, but again with perfect and divine precision. And he says this in verse number one of Isaiah chapter 11. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now this promise is enormous. And it's enormous in particular because of chapter 10. And and we don't have time to review chapter 10. Though in my heart, I would love to keep you here for an extra couple hours. I don't think you can endure it and I don't want to be here alone. So what I'm going to do is just summarize chapter 10 for you really quickly. Chapter 10 of Isaiah that that precedes this is actually a judgment chapter. It's a chapter in which God says to Israel that I'm going to discipline you. Now, why would he have to discipline them? It's because of the pattern of Israel. And and by the way, Israel's pattern is so often identical to our pattern. You see, God had promised to Israel he would bless them. And God kept his end of the bargain. He kept his part of the covenant promise. He did bless them. The only thing he asked in exchange is that they would honor him. Honor him through worship and honor him by the way they treated one another, not as enemies or strangers, but as brothers and sisters. But yet they continue to dishonor him. They did not honor him as father or as Lord. They certainly did not treat one another with justice, kindness, mercy, and dignity as you would a spiritual family. They mistreated one another. They marginalized one another, and God would send warning. He would warn them that if you do not repent, I will send judgment. Now, parenthetically, it's important for us to remember that this is the character of God. 
that he does warn us when we are in sin, when we rebel against him. He is patient. He is long-suffering. But because he is also just and holy, he can't just turn a blind eye to lawlessness or to our sin. He has to judge, and he ultimately does that to Israel. He disciplines them. But, but here's a question worth pondering. How do you discipline a nation? We know how to discipline an individual. Any parent knows how to discipline a child, and, and every grandparent has forgotten how to discipline grandchildren. But that's another sermon for another day. But we know how to discipline individuals, but how do you discipline a nation? The answer is through other nations. And so God says to Israel, he was going to raise up the Babylonians in that day, and they were going to come in and they were going to cut Israel down like a dead tree would be cut down to the stump. He was going to allow the Babylonians to cut Israel down because of their sin. And this is exactly what sin does in our lives. Whenever we rebel against God, it cuts us down. And maybe today you can look back over your life and you can see your bad choices and you can say, it has cost me something, Chris. It has cut down my family or maybe it has cut me off from my children or maybe it has cut down my marriage. Maybe you can look at your rebellion to God. Maybe you can look at your own pride and you can say, that that pride has cost me something. And sin, when it's all said and done, only gives false promises. Yes, it may promise pleasure for a moment or promise a shortcut to success, but at the end, we're left feeling like a stump. We're left feeling like we've been cut down, our hopes and our dreams. And Israel was certainly at that place where they, because of their sin, have been so cut down that hopelessness had begun to set in. The despair had begun to set in. But God, as is his nature, even in the midst of judgment and punishment, is merciful And so God sends them this prophecy that we just read, that though you are cut down and you are like the stump of a dead tree, spiritually dead, leader after leader because of their rebellion that caused Israel to be nothing but a dead tree. And if you've ever experienced that, you know what it's like to cut it down. And maybe you know what it's like to think there's no more life there to walk away, to forget about it. But God never forgets about us, even in our sin and in our rebellion. No matter how far you are from God today, you are never too far away from his grace. You are never so far away from God that his mercy can't reach you. And some of you that are here tonight, you are here precisely because his mercy found you in places where others wrote you off. And so God says to them that there'll be life that comes out of that stump. And maybe you've experienced what it's like to see a stump, and then all of a sudden a shoot comes out, this little branch sprouts up, and leaves begin to come, and you say, I didn't even think there was anything that was living there. But yet God brings life even in what we would call hopelessness. 
I want you to see a picture, a picture that our team had made for us. I want you to look at this. And and maybe this gives you a visual of what the, the prophet is writing about. There's that stump. There's that dead stump that looked so lifeless. And this is what Israel was because of its rebellion and because of its sin. But maybe you can see this little shoot, this little branch coming out. This was the Nazir. This was the branch that Jeremiah had prophesied about. The branch that, that Ze- Zechariah had said was coming. This was the one who would bring hope. And even in the midst of their judgment and their punishment, hope had come because Christ has come. How many praise God for the branch of God's mercy, the branch of God's grace, the Messiah of Israel. And I want you tonight to give your heart to this branch, but why would you do it if you didn't know much about him? So let me just with a moment left, share with you a few things about this branch. First, what we see in The A part of verse number one, that he is from royal lineage. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. You should ask yourself, who is this Jesse? And if you know anything about uh, Israel's history, Jesse was the father of David, the most famous king of Israel. And it was from this line that God had promised that there would be a ruler And of his government and of his kingdom, there would be no end. Jesus coming through the line of David checks that box. He fulfills the prophecy. He is the king that Israel had longed for. He had come from a humble place called Nazareth, but he was king of the world. But it goes on to tell us what type of king he was because he was one with a righteous rule. Look at verse number two. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse four, it says this, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Verse number six, jump down there. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. All of these verses are telling us something, that this is a king with integrity. This is a king that does not give himself to bribery. This is not some crooked politician. This is not a king that is given to corruption. You know, every single one of us in this nation, in this generation, we are all passionate about elections. We all are revved up around election time because we care about the leaders who lead us. Well, here, I don't want you to miss the irony of this moment, that while we are so passionate about earthly leaders and the cycle of elections, we are given a divine opportunity to select who will be the king of our hearts who will be the king of our lives. We have the opportunity to pick a king that rules so marvelously that the peace of his kingdom is not just felt by humanity. Don't miss what it said about even the animals. Where do you see wolves laying down next to lambs? 
What do you see? Lions laying down next to, to calves. And they're, they're not eating or attacking one another. No, his peace surpasses all understanding. My friend, this is the type of peace that your heart is longing for. This is the type of peace that our families need. This is the type of peace that can change a nation. And he offers us this. Early in scripture, it says, behold, I place before you life and death. And then it advises us, you and me, choose life. You can do that. You can do that even tonight. One more thing about this king that I find impressive, and that is that he has a universal reign. Look at verse number 10. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I hope you see that this is a verse that reminds us that Jesus is for everybody. It makes no difference what your national birthplace is, what your nation of origin is. Jesus is for the nations. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But he is not just for men and women from every nation. He is from men and women from every strata of our social ladder. You know, the Bible says that the first, one of the first groups who believed were, were shepherds. The angels came and they sang to shepherds. And if you were to go back to ancient Israel and search the social order, you would find that the shepherds ranked down at the bottom. This is scripture's way of telling us that whether you are down and out or up and out, that Jesus has come for you. The one thing that is true for all of us, 100% of us, is that everyone needs a Savior. And tonight, I want you to know that Jesus is not only Israel's promised king, he can be your promised king. He is my promised king. He has come so that we might know salvation and a relationship with God. And I don't want you to miss the moment. You might have a lot of things under that Christmas tree, but there is only one gift that brings eternal life. And how many know that is faith in Christ? And he offers it to us today. You know, earlier I told a story, and I'll say this as I, as I close. It was a few years ago that I got my kids remote control cars. And you know what it's like when a kid gets a remote control car. They're zooming it everywhere, and my son runs the car smack dab into our fireplace, this stone fireplace, and the car breaks. And he comes to me with these big innocent eyes, and he lifts up the car, and he says to me, Daddy, can you fix it? And I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I got zero mechanical skills. But I didn't want him to think less of me, so I said, absolutely, I can fix it. And I went to the store and got an identical replica and brought it back and, and gave it to him. And to this day, he probably thinks I fixed it. But the reality is, is that I'm finite. But God isn't. He is infinite. And all he's waiting for us to do is to take the broken, shattered pieces of our lives and to lift it to him and to simply say, Daddy, can you fix it? It doesn't take much to experience salvation. It really only takes one thing, and that is humility. And if tonight you will humble yourself and call upon the name of the Lord, you too can know this branch, this Nazir, this one that brings hope. 
Hope has come because Christ has come. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this church. I want you to do something this evening, and that is to search your heart. In the privacy of your own moment, I want you to ask yourself, do I need to be right with God? Today can be the day of salvation for you. There's going to be a phone number that our friends will put on the screen. And I want you to pull out your cell phone and And if this is you, if you need a relationship with Jesus tonight, can you just simply text the word Jesus to this number? Text the name Jesus to this number tonight, and I promise you we'll follow up with you. Maybe you just want prayer. Maybe you want to talk to someone about the things of the Christian faith. We would love for today to be the day that changed your life. How many can agree with me that the best decision you've ever made is to choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior. How many believe that tonight? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for sending the branch. Thank you for fulfilling your promise. Thank you for sending the King of kings and Lord of lords. Today I pray that those who may be far from him might be brought close. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Today we present ourselves to worship you. We give you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.